Welcome to Walking Together, a podcast all about encouraging each other as we follow Jesus together. I'm your host, Dennis Lavelle. Let's start walking. Just last week, I did some old school photography. I loaded up a late 1800s camera with a tin plate that was treated with a light sensitive emulsion, and I took several pics. And the lens that I used for the first couple of plates just wasn't bright enough. It didn't allow enough light in. Now, I could have exposed it a little bit longer, but I didn't. So I swapped the lens and the images turned out much, much better. So simply put, the first lens was simply the wrong one for the task. And part of what keeps us back from becoming mature followers of Jesus is that we see things through the wrong lens. And in Luke 14, we see that Jesus went to the house of a prominent Pharisee. And really, he was the leader of the Pharisees, and he was there to have a simple meal with him on the Sabbath. But as you read the text, you realize that it wasn't just the one Pharisee. There were many Pharisees, as well as lawyers. And there was another man there, too. And the Bible says he suffered from dropsy. Now, as a kid, when I heard that this man had the dropsies, I thought, why can't he hold on to his plate or his bowl? I mean, why does he keep dropping it? (laughs) But really, dropsy is a condition that we would call edema today. It's an excess of water that collects in the various cavities of the body. Now, why was this man there? Well, we're really not certain. Was he an intruder who just wanted Jesus to heal him? Was he on the list of the invited guests? Perhaps, but more than likely, he was planted there by the Pharisees. Now, that may sound a little far-fetched, but in Luke's story, even before we're introduced to the sick man, we're told that the Pharisees were watching Jesus in verse 1. They were trying to trap him. And so Jesus asks them all a question. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Well, they didn't know what to say, so they said nothing. So Jesus healed the man that had dropsy and then sent him home. So then he asked another question. If any of you had a son or even an ox that fell into a well or a pit on the Sabbath day, wouldn't you do your best to pull him out immediately? Or would you say, ah, well, that can wait another day or so? And again, they said nothing crickets. So he looks at the way they're all seated, and they've arranged themselves in a way to honor themselves. And Jesus says, you know when you're invited to a wedding, you don't just seat yourself at the head of the table, which is the place of honor, which again kind of points to the fact that this man with the dropsy was a plant because of where he was seated. He was right in front of Jesus. And they probably expected Jesus to move him down to the other end of the table so that he himself could sit there. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus tells them, when you arrive at a wedding, you sit in the worst possible seat. And if someone honors you, you'll be moved up. Then he tells them, if you're going to throw a big dinner party, don't invite your family or your friends or your rich neighbors, because they're simply going to reciprocate the favor And at some point, you're going to go to their house for a big barbecue as well. So instead of doing that, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. 
they will appreciate it more. But here's the catch. They can't pay you back. Don't expect an invitation from them for a big party at their house. So in a nutshell, Jesus says, when you're invited, exercise humility. When you're the one doing the inviting, exercise compassion. And he says all of this because he knows it's our heart's inclination to choose the things of this life over the things in his kingdom. And then he gives them an illustration to prove his point. So he says, a man plans a huge banquet meal and he invites countless people. And when it's time to eat, someone essentially rings the dinner bell and he goes into the city and he says, come, it's ready. Come sit down, enjoy what's been prepared for you. But one by one, the people gave reasons why they couldn't come. One man said, I just bought a field, and I need to go see it. Sorry, can't make it. Another man said, well, I just bought five oxen, and I need to go examine them. So thanks for the invite. Maybe next time. And yet another man said, I just married a wife, and it's just not a good time. Appreciate the invitation, but we have to decline. We can't come. And there's really nothing wrong with these things on the surface. Buying a field, buying farm animals, getting married, those are all great things. But the problem was that those things were placed higher on their list of priorities than God's kingdom. And the truth of the matter was that a man would probably never buy a field without first looking at it. And nobody buys oxen without first examining them. But the transaction could have waited until tomorrow. And the last man could have and should have brought his wife to the banquet. So basically you have the invitation, which is come to the feast, and then you have the insult, which is, please excuse me, I'm not going to come. And their excuses are actually our excuses as well. The first excuse, I've got to take care of my stuff. Excuse number two, my job is keeping me too busy. And the third excuse, my family takes up my time. And all of those things show us that we're still immature followers of Jesus because we can't seem to organize our schedule in a way that doesn't exclude him or push him to the bottom of our priority list. Again, it's looking at life through the wrong lens. Now, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and if there was ever a church that was full of immature people, it was that church. He says, there's jealousy and strife among you, and y'all are acting like spiritual babies. And the book of Hebrews tells us that many people struggle with growing in their walk with God. We read that when we ought to be teachers, we still have the need for someone to teach us the basic principles and truths of God. We're constantly needing and wanting milk instead of solid food because that's what babies need and want. So let me wrap this up by giving you 10 observations about immature children that really have a striking parallel to immature followers of Jesus who refuse to grow up. Number one, an immature child needs constant attention. You can't leave them alone, can you? They don't know what to do, and they always have to have someone around them. Number two, an immature child can't feed himself. See, babies and little kids can't walk to the fridge and say, 
I want that piece of meatloaf, and I think I'll pop it into the microwave and warm it up. They have to be spoon-fed. But at some point, the spoon in the parent's hand needs to be replaced with a fork in the child's hand. Number three, an immature child doesn't know what can harm him. When I was about eight years old, I wanted to know just how hot an iron was. And so I pressed it onto my hand. Now I know. Number four, a child can't discipline himself, right? He can't say, I've been bad today, so I think I'll give myself five spankings or sit in timeout for a while. Discipline is a necessary factor in the maturation process. Number five, an immature child gets upset over petty things. <laughs> when a child is playing with the toy and the battery dies, the scream is at a decibel level that could start an avalanche, right? Number six, an immature child is fearful. Fear stops us from doing most of the things that we really should be doing. Matter of fact, fear not is the most repeated command in the Bible for a reason. Number seven, an immature child is selfish. According to Webster's Dictionary, Selfish means to be over-concerned with your own interests and having little concern for others. Number eight, an immature child lacks experience to help others. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says that we can actually help others after we've gone through those hard moments ourselves. And it's in those moments that we take a step of maturity and learn that God really can be trusted. Number nine, an immature child has a tendency not to ask for help. Kids don't like asking for help, do they? We heard a lot of, I want to do it myself in our house. <laughs> and number 10, an immature child needs reassurance. I can't tell you the number of people that I know that need constant affirmation in their lives. And listen, it's great to be encouraged by someone. It really is. But those of us who are mature should be the ones who are encouraging others. So let's look at things through the right lens. Let's not make any excuses for our lack of growth. Let's take an honest look at our stuff, our job, and our family. And let's let God's kingdom become a priority once again. Well, that's it for today. I would love to hear from you if this episode has been a help to you. Write a review, share it on your favorite social media platform. Let's keep growing and maturing together. I'll see you next time.